Romans 3, 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received as faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Allison, and thank you all so much for being here this morning. We're really glad to have you with us today at River Oaks on this special weekend when we uh, celebrate the uh, life and uh, work and civil rights of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. This is also uh, a week when we're having our special Wednesday night service. We have these uh, once a quarter, we call it a prayer and praise service, and that will be this Wednesday night from 6.30 until about uh, 7.45. It's, it's a different worship experience than being here on a Sunday morning if you've never been, a smaller group. Uh, kind of a more reflective time of worship interspersed, interspersed with prayer and then celebration of the Lord's Supper. And I'd encourage you to join us if you can this Wednesday night here in the sanctuary. One other upcoming event I'll uh, encourage you to note. You'll find the details in your bulletin, your worship guide. But a week from Wednesday on the 24th, we're having something we have uh, twice a year called Taste of Community. It's a chance for you to learn a little bit more about our small groups. And if you think you might want to be part of a small group as we move into a church-wide small group study that's tied to our sermon series in February, this is a time that uh, you can do that. And then lastly, we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. And uh, as communion is being served, we'll invite you, if you have a need for prayer, and would like to have some of our leaders pray for you to one of these front rows where we'll be happy to pray with you and for you. And thank you again for being here today. This is uh, maybe my favorite month of the year. It's a month of new starts. A lot of people are uh, dieting. Some people are, are starting to exercise. It's the by far the highest membership month of the year at the YMCA. And a lot of people either start coming to church or start coming back to church in January. But the reason I love this month so, so much is because there seems to be a spiritual hunger. 
a desire to walk more closely with God in this new year and to more fully be who he's called us to be and more fully do what he's called us to do. And um, with that in mind, there is one spiritual practice that I want to recommend to you as of the greatest importance. And that is the daily reading, study, and meditation upon the Scripture, God's Word, the Bible. Because the Scripture, God's Word, anchors us in God's truth, and it's really the only sure guide for life in a rapidly changing world in which no one really knows what the future holds. I was reminded of the fact that even some very, very smart people have no idea what the future holds. When I read an article that appeared in Forbes magazine, it's called, the name of the article was 15 Worst Tech Predictions of All Time. Article was by Robert Zerba, and I want to share just a few of those with you. You'll see them on the screen. The earliest one is in 1876, from William Priest with the British Post Office, who said, quote, the Americans have need of the telephone, but we do not. We have plenty of messenger boys. 1876. In 1903, a bank president in Michigan was advising Henry Ford's attorney not to invest his money in the Ford Motor Company because he said, quote, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty. A fad. 1946, someone with 20th Century Fox said, television won't be able to hold on to any market share it captures after the first six months. People will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. In 2005, one of the founders of YouTube talking about the long-term viability of his company and expressing concerns about that said, there's just not that many videos I want to watch. And then, of course, uh, more recently, there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. And these are smart people. These are very intelligent people who said these things. But the fact is, in an uncertain world, God's Word is the only thing that can really anchor us in reality. And further, the only thing that helps us to know God better and to love Him more. Now, for the practice of daily reading and study of the Bible, a lot of people find that it really helps to have some kind of a guide, some kind of a plan. So we, we have restocked this morning with these Bible reading guides that take you through the entire Bible in a year. And the nice thing about this particular plan, it leaves you margin every month. Uh, for days you miss. So you could actually use this plan and catch up, even though it's January 14th. You could still read through the Bible this year. Well, this month we're studying the theme, the topic of witnesses, what it means to be a, a witness for Jesus. Allison read just a moment ago from Romans chapter 3. I'd like to read a few more verses from the book of Romans. These are found in Romans chapter 10. You'll see the verses on the screen. The Apostle Paul wrote, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. What does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? Well, last week we, we said we could define witnesses as empowered followers of Jesus who are sent to show and to share the gospel. Empowered followers of Jesus who are sent to show and share the gospel. Let's, let's break this definition down into its parts. Witnesses are, first of all, empowered. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. We find these words from Jesus in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the Holy Spirit is given to every true believer, follower of Jesus. But the Bible tells us we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're to be yielded to his control. We are to recognize our need for his power. And it's this empowering, this enabling work of the Spirit that makes us witnesses. It's not having a seminary degree. As important as it is to know the Bible and we should understand the gospel, it's not the breadth of our Bible knowledge. It's the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Often, I often hear Christians say things like this, I could never talk to anybody about the gospel and explain the gospel. But I would say to that person, do you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within? Are you yielded to his power? Because it's the power of the Spirit, Jesus said, that makes you a witness. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Witnesses are people empowered by the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, witnesses are sent by Jesus. And you see the words on the screen where Jesus talks about sending his followers in John chapter 17. John 17 is actually a great prayer of Jesus. And it's not just a prayer for his first apostles, his first disciples. He says in the prayer, I'm not praying for these only, but also for all of those who will believe in me through their word. And he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We read just a moment ago these words from the Apostle Paul when he asked, how are they going to hear unless somebody preaches? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Every follower of Jesus is sent into the world as his representative, as his light, as his witness, as his ambassador. So what are we sent to do? We saw last week that we're sent first to show the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel by the light of our lives. That is, by the way we live. Witnessing is not so much about what we say as it is who you are. Witnessing does call for us to verbally explain the gospel, but the witness of our lives is incredibly important. In fact, I would say, if you're not going to walk the walk, you really shouldn't talk the talk. Because you'll just appear to be a hypocrite. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
The way you live your life when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you walk through your neighborhood, the way you represent Jesus by the way you live your life is a critical part of your witness for him. So witnesses show the gospel by the light of our lives. And then further, witnesses share the gospel with God's word. As the Apostle Paul said, how are they to believe of him and whom they've never heard? People need to hear about Jesus if they are to believe. And this is where people get nervous. Some of you might be getting nervous now. We're going to talk about actually verbally sharing the message of the gospel with people. You know, if we polled a room full, full of people, and I'm not talking about our church because you, you have a much much more understanding of the gospel than most. But if we took an average group of people in a room and said, what first comes to your mind when you hear this word? Evangelist. You know what kind of words we'd get? We'd get words like loud, pushy, judgmental, angry. And most people have heard or seen people like that. Maybe you've seen some gospel tracks like that. Maybe, you're, maybe, maybe for some people the idea of evangelism has come from, from uh, tracks that have been given out, kind of like the ones you see on the screen. The get out of hell free card. It's one gospel track. Or maybe it's more like this. Disappointed? Satan also deceives, but Jesus saved. That's a track that people leave lying around, folded in half, so when somebody sees it, they think it's a $5 bill. But when they open it up, this is something even better. It's a message for you. Well, doesn't strike a lot of people well. What about this one? Listen, don't believe any of this. Keep on partying, the devil says. And this Christian woman says, stop believing Satan's lies. Well, while there is some truth in that, the message of the gospel is not quit partying, be straight-laced like the woman on the screen. The fact is, people think anybody that gives out a track or shares the gospel is just plain weird. Now, let me tell you, I'm not against giving out tracks at whatsoever. Um, I gave some out this week, and uh, I like this, this simple track called Steps to Peace with God. Beautiful picture of uh, a mountain, some mountains and a lake, and just some scriptures that tell you how to have a relationship with God. And I, I like to have one of these with me all the time. This week, um, Thursday, I had a, a, a church meeting uh, in Orlando, and I was riding from, uh, I had a prearranged ride from the uh, motel to the airport. And so I had one of these with me, and the driver came to pick me up, and um, I was just thinking, praying, maybe the Lord will let me talk to him. And um, I was trying to get an idea of whether this guy might be open. And he was real talkative. I was asking about himself, his, his family. He was talking about his kids. And all of a sudden, he let out a couple of words that let me know for sure he needed the gospel. I'm not going to repeat what he said, but I just, the Lord showed me for sure he needs the gospel. So, uh, and, 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 and he just kept talking. He wouldn't, he wouldn't stop talking. And I, I finally said, Bob, that was his name. I said, before I get out of the car, is there anything I can pray for you about? And I find that even the hardest person 
if you just ask if you can pray for them sincerely, and I really meant it. I, I was, and I did pray for him later when I got out of the car. I don't think he would have been comfortable with me praying for him in the car, but it opens a door. It all of a sudden makes someone stop and think. And so we, we were at the airport, got out of the car, and uh, I was going to give him this track. And, and it was one of these prepaid, yeah, already, he'd already been paid. There was no need to tip or anything like that. And I said, you know, I got to give him a tip. Open my wallet. I, had a, I only had six bucks. I had a five and a one. I said, I don't want to just give him a one. And it's a really short ride. I really don't want to give him a five, but I gave him the five dollar bill because Bob needed this track. And he gladly took the track with the five dollar bill. So I highly recommend using a simple track that has the, the true gospel in it and a little scripture. It's really, really helpful. But let me just say this to you. If you have a real fear of verbally sharing the gospel with anybody, in reality, the most loving thing you can do for a person who has not received God's gift of eternal life and is facing ultimately death and judgment before God, the most loving thing you can do is to explain to them how they can receive the gift of eternal life by receiving Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for them. It's the most loving thing you could do for a person. Let me ask you this. What would you say if you had a good friend or a member of your family? And suppose you, you know this person's not a follower of Jesus. You know they're not a Christian. They may have a general belief in a supreme being. But let's suppose your, your friend, your family member, gets a really bad medical report and comes to you and, and says... Look, I'm scared. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to die. And I know you go to church. And I know you believe in God. Can you tell me how I can know God like you do? What would you say if a friend came over this afternoon and asked you that? Can you tell me how I can know God like you do? Well, some people might say, well, just ask Jesus into your heart. That's what we sometimes say to real, real little children. But that doesn't really explain the gospel. Who is Jesus? Why do I need to ask him in my heart? You would be far more confident in responding to your friend who asks, how can I know God? You'll be more confident, you'll be more comfortable, and you'll be far more accurate if you know just a few verses of Scripture and are able to just explain the foundational truths of the gospel. And I imagine you'll find God giving you more opportunities when you're prepared in that way. What I want to do now is suggest to you a, a way you can do that. A way you can use a few verses of Scripture and share four truths that I, I believe are foundational to understanding really what the New Testament teaches about how we receive eternal life. And they are all found in one passage of Scripture. It's the passage Allison read for us a moment ago, Romans 3, verses 19 to 26. 
And these four points are on the back of your worship guide this morning, if you're one of those folks who likes to, to fill this in. And I think the four points are easy to remember because each one begins with the letter G or O. G-O-G-O. God's nature, our problem, God's solution, our response. Let's look at those briefly. You'll see them on the screen. First of all, um, God's nature. If you open your Bible to Romans 3 and verse 19, you'll read, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped in the whole world. Notice those words, the whole world may be held accountable to God. The gospel starts with God. An understanding of who he is. That he's our holy creator. And we are, therefore, accountable to him. Now, there, there, there are more verses that we could share to explain that God is holy, that he is a just judge, that we are ultimately accountable to him because he is our creator. And there are verses like the ones you'll see on the screen, in Genesis and Revelation, the book of Psalms. I won't go into those now, but we have included those verses, a little more full explanation in this booklet titled Witnessing that is, has been designed to match this sermon series. And they're out in the coffee bar on the tables. They're free if you want to pick one up. It will have these other verses. But the main point is to understand the gospel begins with understanding who God is. We, we can't really understand our need for forgiveness or what Jesus has done on the cross or why somebody needs to ask him into their hearts unless we begin with the nature of God. Now in light of God who's holy, to whom we're accountable, we see our problem. And our problem is our sin. In this very passage, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Unless we understand our need, how can we possibly embrace what Jesus did for us as good news? You may say to someone, Jesus died for you, and a person may say, so what? So what? Why do I, what does that mean to me? What difference does that make to me? I was talking to a university student um, when I was in Scotland, sitting next to him on a, on a train. I had one of these little booklets, and I tried to engage him in conversation about faith, and I offered him one of these little, little booklets that I just showed you, and he said, I'll take it, but I don't need God. I've got my own life principles. I don't need God. I've got my own life principles. People need to understand why they need God. And the scripture, the word of God, has the power to break down resistance and to bring light where there is darkness. The prophet Jeremiah said, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Hard heart is broken down. When God's word comes and the, the gentle power of his spirit as you share it. God's nature, our problem, God's solution, 
God's solution is Jesus. The righteousness of God, Paul goes on to write, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fought short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Here is God's remedy for our sin. The redemption, the buying us back out of the penalty of our sin. How? By His blood that was shed on the cross. And again, there are more verses that will clarify this. On the next slide you'll see, and these are in the the little booklet that I mentioned that you can pick up. God's nature... Our problem, God's solution, our response. And our response is simply to receive Jesus by faith. Romans 3 goes on to say, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now these two verses require defining a couple of words. The word propitiation has to do with satisfying God's wrath. And you could simply say, when you get to the word propitiation, Jesus takes care of God's just and holy wrath toward our sin. The last sentence there, that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, simply means God maintains the just demands of his law by letting the judgment for our sin fall on his sinless son in order that he might call us just, forgiven, righteous. That's what it means to be justified. God to declare us just. God's nature, our problem, God's solution, our response. All in these seven verses, Romans 3, 19 to 26, these few verses here. So that all you've really got to do is remember those four things and open your Bible. So if your friend came to you this afternoon and said, I got a really bad medical report and I'm scared. I'm afraid to die. But I know you know God. Can you tell me how I can know God like you do? It's not that complicated. It's not that complicated. And Keep one of these little tracks around because they've got uh, scriptures in them as well. But I think there's power when you can verbally share the message of the gospel as well. Witnesses are empowered followers of Jesus sent, sent into this world by Jesus to show the gospel by the way we live and when the opportunity is there to share the message of the gospel with God's word. Can you imagine what might happen this year in 2018 if just those of us who call River Oaks our church home would embrace our identity as sent people empowered by the Spirit 
And we would begin to pray for God to give us some opportunities to not only show, but to share the gospel. What would happen in our community this year if every one of us shared the gospel this year with just one person? What might the Holy Spirit do to affect this community, to affect our world, to affect the ministries where we serve in local missions or world missions? What kind of fruit might we see come? Over the past several months, the elders on our church session have been meeting, and we've been prayerfully seeking God about how we can bear the most fruit as a church that we can possibly bear in the coming years. Now we know we're called to fulfill the Great Commission, and we often talk about our role in that by reaching, building, and sending. We will continue that. But is there some way God is specifically calling us to focus our efforts so that we can best contribute to the Great Commission? We've been asking the question, how can we as a local church best glorify God and make disciples? And we believe God is showing us that that's by building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. What do we mean by that? Well, we simply mean that every follower of Jesus who calls our church home recognizes that, that we're sent to show and to share the gospel, to take God's love and his truth into the world around us, here and everywhere invo we're involved in local and world missions taking the gospel, the love and truth of Jesus to our family first, to our friends, our neighbors, praying about opportunities and seeing what God does. This was Jesus' model for making disciples. Jesus' model was not just come to me and learn all you can and be a knowledgeable Christian. Jesus' model was to call disciples to be with him, to learn from him by his words, and by his example, and then to send them into the world. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. That's when disciples fulfill the cycle of discipleship. When disciples become most spiritually mature, when they walk in this power of the Holy Spirit that's given to us to go out and take his love and his truth to other people. Now you may be new in our church this morning or fairly new in your faith. You may say, well, I'm still, I'm not even sure I'm a follower of Jesus myself yet. That's okay and we're delighted that you would be here if that's true. But you may be thinking, I'm, I'm really new as a Christian. How's that going to happen for me? How am I going to get to the, from where I am to the place that I'm a follower of Jesus who's sent to, to reach others, how's that going to happen? We've realized that we needed a clearer pathway in our church so that people don't just come in and, and see a list of uh, a couple dozen activities. We realized what we need is not a menu, but a map. 
clear steps people can take in their spiritual growth. And we call this map our discipleship pathway. And there are four parts, four venues, four places we think growth especially occurs for a person who's seeking to become a mature follower of Jesus. The first is worshiping together. We're doing that today. And it's important. The Bible says not to neglect it. Because there is a unique way the Holy Spirit works, a dynamic way He works in the gathered corporate worship service. But secondly, growth continues when we... We, we grow in a group of people, a smaller group of people, a place where we can study together. Frankly, I think the best way to learn to pray is by being with a small group of people where you hear others pray and you learn from them that prayer is not complicated. It's just talking to God. Growth occurs further in a local church when we begin to serve others. We begin to use our gifts in some way. We begin to realize that Jesus set the example of servanthood and we're to follow that. But then, growth continues when we embrace the fact that we are sent. Sent into the world in mission. By mission, I don't necessarily mean world missions. Your mission may be, well, it begins in your home and in your neighborhood and where you work and where you interact with people every day. But I do hope that every member of our church will seek God about engagement in some local mission or ministry and in world missions. Tremendous spiritual growth occurs when we embrace our identity as sent people and begin to engage in missions here around the world. I want to pause right now and ask the folks to come up front who are in this service who are going to Kenya this week is kind of a living illustration of this. We have 19 people who leave uh, uh, 18 or 19 with Pastor Sonny this week for Katali, Kenya. Uh, some adults, some, some uh, students going as well. I want to ask you to join now as we pray for them and pray for them throughout the week. It's a long trip. They're going to be serving at the Challenge Farm they're going to have tremendous opportunities to show and share the gospel, to minister to the, the uh, kids that have come off the streets here at the Challenge Farm. Would you join us as we pray God's blessing and covering and protection over them right now? Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would watch over our brothers and our sisters, that you, Lord, would be a shield of protection around them, that you would protect them as they travel, that you would keep them in your care, that you would protect their health and anoint and empower them by your Spirit. Lord, give them opportunities to minister to people coming and going. They're at the Challenge Farm and in all their travels. Bless them and keep them and be a shield of protection around them and watch over them and use them for your glory. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. In closing, do just two questions by way of personal application for you to consider. First, have I embraced the gospel myself? And secondly, could I share the gospel verbally with someone else? And again, we've got booklets out there that are designed to help you with that. They're free. You can pick one up 
if you would like. For those who have embraced the gospel, you have received it. You understand what it means. Jesus has given us a way to forever celebrate what he has done for us in what we call the Lord's Supper. Jesus, the Bible says, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In writing about this, the Apostle Paul went on to say, let a person examine himself and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Everyone here today is invited to receive communion. Uh, you don't have to be a member of our church, but I do think it's important that you have personally understood the message of the gospel and you have received the gift of eternal life. Because when you take the bread and the juice, essentially you are proclaiming, I have received by faith the benefits of what Jesus has done for me. So let's pray about this for a moment, and then um, I'll invite those serving to uh, come forward as we're praying, and they will serve you the bread and the juice. Father, we ask now that you prepare us to receive this holy thing we call the Lord's Supper. We pray, Father, that we would receive it in the right way and receive the benefits of it. Lord, I pray as we take the bread and the juice that we'd comprehend the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And for anyone here who has not truly embraced the salvation that Jesus brings, maybe this is the day that you simply say, Lord, I I yield my life to Jesus Christ. I receive what he did on the cross for me. Be my Savior and my Lord this day. Amen.